Hey friend, Graham Baldwin here with The Speaker Lab. Hey, wouldn't it be nice if someone gave you the exact process to find and book more speaking gigs in 2024? That'd be nice, right? Well, I'll tell you what, we're just gonna do that for you. We've created a new 18-page guide based on Dan Irvin's process that helped him actually book over $100,000 in speaking gigs in the past year. Now, Dan is one of our uh, team members here. He's this, a very successful speaker and also one of our coaches. And so you're gonna learn how to get started prospecting, master discovery calls, proposal emails, and so much more. All you got to do is go to thespeakerlab.com slash steps. Again, that's plural, thespeakerlab.com slash steps. We're going to send you that PDF guide right to your inbox. Again, that is thespeakerlab.com slash steps. That's it. That's all you got to do. Go there. Hey, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You're awesome. Hey, what's up, my friends? Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back to the Speaker Lab podcast. Glad you are here. I hope your day's going well. Hope everything's going uh, well in life for you. And I uh, really appreciate you hanging out with us. So today we are talking with a friend of mine, Dr. Sue Edinger. And Sue is a veterinarian who had actually joined one of our training programs uh, about a year ago or so, a little over a year ago, and was serious about, okay, how do I actually find and book speaking engagements. She's, uh, like I said, she's a veterinarian, but also wants to do some speaking on the side, speaking on a, a topic that she's really passionate about, which we'll get into here in a second. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. So she's gone from literally zero gigs to around 30 conference gigs in the past two years or so. We talk about how she finds gigs, what she's continued to do that really works well for her. We've also talked about how much she's getting paid to speak, why she's still nervous to quote speaking fees. We talk about a bucket list trip to Maui that uh, came from speaking that she shares. Uh, and then finally, we talk through her journey. And at the end, we have a little coaching as we talk about how she could build and expand her brand. So I think you're going to enjoy this. We have a conversation at the beginning and then a little bit of coaching at the end. So I think uh, lots that you're going to get from today. So let's get right into it. Here's my conversation with my friend, Sue Edinger. Enjoy. So my friends, Grant Baldwin here. Welcome back, and thanks for hanging out with us today. We are joined by uh, my friend and uh, speaking legend. I'm just, I'll just, I'll call you a speaking legend. Well, she's one of our uh, booked and paid to speak members, but Miss Doctor Sue Edinger, who is a uh, veterinarian who's gotten into speaking and uh, is just killing it. And uh, excited to have her hanging out with us today. So, hello, Doctor Sue. How are you today? I am awesome. What a true honor it is to be here. I can't even tell you <laughs> after. Well, just being a student of yours to be invited on the show is truly an honor. Thank well, you. Cool. Well, uh, it's an honor to have you here. So first of all, let's start with this. So you're a veterinarian, but also you've been kind of uh, getting into speaking. So kind of talk us through what your career has been like and then also what your how speaking has started to fit into all that. Yeah, so I have been a veterinarian for almost 20 years. After I graduated, I decided to become a cancer specialist. So I went and did additional training and internship and a residency, and I'm a board-certified cancer specialist. And with the intention of just being in private practice and seeing patients and treating cancer, and we lecture all the time in-house for veterinarians, like continuing it in the evening. I never had any idea that I would do speaking, but it's something that has developed over the last couple of years, almost accidentally. Yeah. How did that kind of come to be? Because it sounds like, I mean, you've been a veterinarian for many, many years and like, yep. you could just do that. And there's plenty of veterinarians who just do that. So at what point were you just kind of like, ah, this speaking thing seems kind of fun. Like, where did that kind of come into play? So I got recommended to speak at one of the largest veterinary conferences, uh, North American Veterinary Conference in Orlando in 2015. And so I went and they gave me a pretty heavy schedule and I did about seven or eight lectures. And the feedback that I got was amazing in the reviews, but also with people that I would meet with afterwards. And they're like, 
I've never heard someone be so enthusiastic and energetic about talking about cancer. And I came home and I was so motivated. And I said to him, I was in tears with my husband. I said, Carrie, I have to figure out how to make this part of what I do because I had so much fun. Right. You'll love the next part of this because then I was waiting. I was like, okay, I want to speak. How do I speak? And a lot of it is waiting for someone to recommend you. You can't really apply to speak in most of these conferences. And so then I kind of hit this wall where I was like, well, how do I get to speak more? So I, that was the big challenge for me. I knew that I found something that I loved, but I wanted to, one, get better at speaking. I had no idea how the business side of it, and that's where I found you. And then it was building, getting traction and figuring out how to get invited to other talks. So what did you do early on? Because I think there's a lot of people that are in that spot who, you know, I spoke at something for work or I spoke at some local event or I spoke at something for a friend or that Sunday school class or whatever. And I got good feedback. I personally really enjoyed it. But I think most people then are at that point where like, I have no idea what to do from there. So like you said, a lot of times it's kind of like, I just sit back and I hope that the phone magically rings or someone magically comes across me. So what did you do from there to go from, I'm interested in speaking, I've done a little bit of it to, I want to do this more and I want to do this in a, in a bigger way and ideally get paid for it. Right. So one of the things I did is I started connecting with my veterinary colleagues who are speakers as well. And there's a great network. And what I have found pretty similar to what I imagine from listening to your podcast and other speaking podcasts, there's this amazing group of speakers. And I have to tell you, that's one of the reasons that I love it is when I go, I get to hang out with these people who inspire me, motivate me, teach me, and we mentor each other. So I leaned on them. One of my good friends, Andy, does a ton of speaking, and he helped me make the connections that allowed me to get into more conferences. But a lot of it is, and you have said this, and I take it to heart because it is so true, I got a few additional speaking gigs at different conferences. And you know, you always said your best advertisement is a good speaking. And I practiced and I rehearsed and I made my talks different than a traditional veterinarian, less academic, but more entertaining, figuring out how to make it engaging. And that has been self-perpetuating. And that has been it, just more talks keep coming in to the point where I've had to scale back my, my practice a little bit, which has been exciting for me just to be able to actually be able to do that finally. Very cool. So are you at a point where you're wanting to, like, what's the end goal for you? Are you wanting to speak full time or are you wanting to, this is fun and I want to do it here and there, but I also have this, you know, this practice that I run. So like, how does speaking fit in long-term for you? Good question. I think to be honest, to be a good speaker as a cancer specialist, because I teach about different cancers and how to manage them. And a lot of what I talk about is cases and the patients that I'm treating. And so I think that that's really important. So I imagine a scenario where maybe I could be more part-time. So in clinics, instead of four days a week, I'm now down to three, three and a half days a week. So because I'm traveling so much and you know, you talked about this, I used all my vacation time and had yeah. nothing left. So that was when I kind of trimmed back my schedule. But I imagine maybe two days a week where I can be teaching more. But I still think it's important to be in the game, as sure. they say, to be reading cases, staying current. On my social media, I post my cases as well as, you know, survival stories and, and cases that we sadly lost. And I can't imagine not having that part of it. So I'd like to speak a little bit more, but I can't imagine at least maybe for the next 10 years, not seeing patients at all. And for context sake, like how many events will you do, let's say this year? I am doing anywhere from one to three a month. Nice. <laughs> so, Very cool. Yeah. So it's 
May was crazy. May was one where my nine-year-old really started to feel it because they were a little bit back to back. And that's been a really hard part as a parent is balancing the travel part of it. But yeah, the, it's one to three a month. So it's steadily increasing. And 2018 is shaping up to be pretty packed already. That's cool. I, yeah, I'm super excited. It's just growing on its own. I really, well, not on its own. <laughs> it takes a lot of work. Okay. It takes a lot of work. Let me ask you a couple other questions about it. So what has been working for you to go from, I did a, you know, a national conference in 2015 and that was really fun two years ago or so. And I really liked it. And I want to do more to the point where now this year, it sounds like you'll do, you know, in the neighborhood of, of 20 to 30 gigs with 2018, you know, uh, uh, next year already lining up to be amazing. So what are you doing now that's working to, to get all those gigs? So I think it is a combination of, as you say, trying to crush the talk, you know, doing a really good presentation because then they fill out surveys at these conferences. And there are some conferences that invite me back year after year after year. So I have some that I'll be on my third year. Sometimes you have to rotate off a year. But so I think that the talks itself and then the other big thing is is networking in a positive way is making the connections with the different sponsors, with the different speakers. As you say, you never know who's going to be in the audience. Mm-hmm. So I think it's been a combination of networking and trying to be a positive energy out there that people will want to work with me. Right, right. And I think that's that's helpful for people to hear that it's it's not just put up a website and wait for the phone to ring, that it's a, it's a series of different activities that may lead to things. And it seems like, you know, oftentimes early on, you're just kind of like spreading seed and hoping that something is going to catch and something is going to click. But over time, I think it does get easier and you do start to build some momentum. And it sounds like you're really hitting some of that momentum now. Yeah. And the fun part is in in veterinary medicine, at least there are national conferences and then there are state Mm -hmm. veterinary medical associations and then there are regional ones and local, just like any association. So there's this huge network I have uh, with the help of one of my technicians who's helping me. I've put together a spreadsheet of all the different conferences and I'm trying to truck through that as well. But to be honest, I've been lucky that the calendar has been filling on its own, but I still want to continue to expand that. I keep quoting you. I'm sorry, but it, you know, I truly, because it truly is a marathon and I, you know, there are times that I get exhausted and I think I can't do this anymore. And it would just be easier to stay home, not travel, just, you know, just go to work and be a great doctor. But there is something so rewarding and exciting. And I feel like I'm making a difference when I talk to veterinarians and technicians. I just, it's the thing that gets me going. Like, I love it. It's very much a um, a different deal. Like it, it's one thing if people, you know, you're treating people in house there, or people if you have a you know a blog or a podcast or something. It's something totally different when you're you're seeing people in person, especially in a speaking context, and you're sharing ideas with them that you know is going to help them in some way. It really starts to make a, an impact or a difference. Okay, let me ask you a couple other things. So all these events that you're doing, can you give us a ballpark on fees? Are most of those free or most of those paid? And if they're paid, can you give us even just a, a range of what that what that looks like? Yeah. So one of the things that's a little bit different about the conferences that I'm doing is I'm often doing a track, you know, the, I'm doing the oncology track, the cancer track. So they will often ask me to do anywhere from four to eight talks a day. So that's it's an incredible, lot. it's a lot. By the yeah. end of the day, I'm tired of hearing me talk and yeah. I can only imagine how my audience members feel. But you know, it's really exciting. There are people who will come to my first 8am talk and there are, you know, veterinarians who start very early 
and they will stick with me the whole day. Dang. And it's really yeah. great. You know, that's that to me speaks volume. So on average, I'm doing six to eight talks and it's over one to two days. The large conferences, they have a set fee. Mm-hmm. And so usually I will work and bring home around $2,500 to $3,000 for okay. that. And they have set fees and they're non-negotiable. Just it is what it is. The better sort of uh, opportunity to sort of negotiate your prices is at some of the state ones where mm-hmm. and the local VMAs where I have brought in $4,000 for the day. It's the negotiation part, which I tell you, I suck at. Sure. I hate that part. That they're like, what's your fee? And then, you yeah, know, and I, I, I try know. to get them on the phone. I know. I try to get them on the phone. Yeah. But a lot of times they want to do through email, which I think you lose a lot of the... Yeah the energy that I can get over the phone, but I've been getting them. So I think that that's, that's a good sign, but I really, I cringe when I get that. What's your speaking fee? I I just hate it. (laughs) It's always still a nerve wracking conversation, right? Uh, You're absolutely providing value, but at the same time, like I think sometimes we associate the fee with a, like who we are, because we were the person delivering it. So if they don't, it's almost like if they don't, they have an issue with the budget or they have an issue with the fee, then it feels like they have an issue with us type of thing. And we don't, we don't want to do that. But the other thing too, is like, I think for all of us, we genuinely really enjoy speaking. So the idea that we would go speak for a day and talk about something that we genuinely care about and are passionate about, and someone would pay us thousands and thousands of dollars is just mind boggling. It's just crazy. Um, but I like, as you're finding, like that's been, you know, you've been able to get that. And I think you, you make a great point though, too, that oftentimes for speakers, when I, whenever they kind of nail down what it is that they want to speak about and who they want to speak to, that we start looking for these big national conferences where it's really super competitive. It sounds like for you, you've had a lot of success on more of a state and regional and even maybe even local level to get gigs that are maybe easier to get, but also higher paying gigs. Does that seem to be the case? It is. But what's interesting about, I think you still get paid well at the national conferences, but there's just less wiggle room to, to, you know, with their budgets is that those are really important for almost the prestige, right? Mm -hmm. You, oh, you speak at North American, you speak at Western, you speak at the CVC conferences. So they see that you speak at the national ones. Mm -hmm. And then recently when I was just negotiating one on the phone, got her on the phone, telling her about the talks, tell me about your conference. What are you looking for? Those kind of things. And I said my fee and I closed my mouth and she said, oh, Shut up, shut up, you know. And then she said, Oh, that's what we would expect to say, expect to pay someone of your caliber. That's cool. Like, yes. You know, yeah. So it was <laughs> internal you know, happy dance, dance begins. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's been rewarding. But again, a lot of veterinarians are not known for their business savvy, and that would be me as one of them. So I'm really trying I mean, that's what again brought me to you was to figure out some of the business side of it because I can talk about cancer and I'm learning how to make my talks more engaging and entertaining and things like that. But I had no idea how to reach out to people, how to do emails, what to expect and things like that. So that's been a huge learning curve for me over the last year and a half. How has Books and Paid to Speak and the Speaker Lab helped you with that? One is, I mean, I, I, you're sort of become a mentor of mine. I mean, and so 
in the beginning, we were doing the email exchange. So you would answer a lot of my emails for me personally. So that was very helpful. Just going through all the courses. The day that your podcast come out, I listen to them. I mean, I just take notes. So for me, it has provided the business side of it. Again, I can provide the medical knowledge and I can provide the enthusiasm and the passion for what I do, that cancer is a treatable disease and not a death sentence, but I needed that business side. And you have given me the confidence to, okay, I have an email. I go to your swipe and I look at it and I incorporate that into what I talk. And then a lot of it has been, and learning to enjoy the networking part where you always said people do business with people they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. And again, it's developing those relationships and I really enjoy it. But Again, some of the speaking that I have gotten is someone who heard me first speak in 2015. And I think, oh my God, I'm so much better than then. <laughs> but again, they were like, oh, I heard you speak in, in North American and we now have an opening. Would you yeah. like to come and things like that? So for me, it's just sort of the confidence of the business side of it that I never knew what to do. Yeah. Cool. Well, two of my favorite things about, or two of my favorite Dr. Sue moments and stories were, I remember one of the first gigs that you did was a pet sitting conference in Vegas. And if I remember right, yep. I think they, they, didn't they pay you 5,000 for that? 4,000. 4,000. Just to do one, one and a half hour talk. For a pet sitting conference. Like that was just yeah. mind boggling even to me. I was like, that, that's even a thing? So that yeah. was cool. And then the other thing too, that your other event I remember was I remember you you posted some pictures of uh, you with your husband and you have two boys, right? Yep. And you had a speaking gig in Maui and yeah. you got to go hang out in Maui, got to have the family come with you. I remember seeing you do like a helicopter tour in Maui yep. and, and my wife who you've met, Sheila, was super jealous. She's like, why don't you get bookings in Hawaii? I was like, I don't know. I don't know how Dr. Sue's getting these. So both of those were, were really cool. And that one, I just took the, <laughs> there was no negotiation. I didn't care. It was yeah, like- yeah. It was a, a well. You got a, you got a vacation a out of it. Yeah, it was a respectable pay, but I was like, it was on our bucket list. We wanted to go there for oh, our right. honeymoon, and we couldn't. And then we pulled the kids out of school, which we've never done. And that is the vacation. It was our vacation of a lifetime as a family, That's for amazing. sure. That's so cool. And yeah. speaking helped make that possible. Yeah. That's yeah, so cool. that was amazing. That's so cool. Okay, so let me ask you this. So things have been going well, and but now you're at a point where you're wanting to, okay, how do I continue to build? How do I grow? What are the current challenges you're running into as you're just kind of figuring out what the horizon looks like for the business? So one of them for me is continuing to grow my presence. And for me, that's online with Facebook and now YouTube. So I'm trying the video thing. I've done a couple of different things that I've experimenting with video. I'm vlogging. So video blogs that I'm posting on YouTube, which have been fun. I've done seven so far. Mm -hmm. So I basically capture my day with my patients getting treatment and things like that. And then I play with iMovie and I post them. So that's, so I'm trying to think of creative ways to continue to grow my brand with, and I think video from what I listen to and hear is that, and then I'm trying to grow my presence with the veterinarians and I did a live Q&A. I have a closed Facebook group, which now has over 1,600 veterinary professionals. Cool. So that's really fun. And so I did my first live Q&A on Facebook last week or two weeks ago. But again, it, it's just trying to figure out what do I need to do to keep growing my presence online and keep generating momentum because I don't want to stagnate. Right, right. I mean, based on all that and all that you have going on, how can we best help you? I've watched you evolve also as well, right? So one of the, the trends that I seem to notice for the phenomenal speakers that I look up to is they seem to be doing a lot more online, whether it's 
webinars or courses or things like that and consulting and things like that. So I'm wondering if that's a good area to go to. Is it just keep trying to grow the brand, keep speaking? I just, I feel like I, I don't know where I, what direction I should go to. I'm doing great, but I feel like a little bit like I could stagnate. I, I feel like I'm still going to get speaking gigs, but again, what to do it to keep it fresh and current. Yeah. Yeah. That makes total sense. So uh, there's a couple things I would tell you is one is I think it's really important to kind of reverse engineer where it is that you want to head. I think sometimes we see some of these different shiny objects that other <laughs> people are doing. Other people are doing a Facebook group. Other people are doing a YouTube channel. Other people are doing Facebook live. Other people are doing online courses. Other people are doing, I mean, you can make a huge list of all those things that people are doing that doesn't necessarily mean because they're working for them that it would work for you or that it would make sense for you or that it would be something that you would even enjoy. So I would kind of begin with the end in mind of, all right, you're at a point where let's say this year you do, let's say 25 speaking gigs. And I don't, I would start to kind of think you're probably getting a feel for what 25 feels like your daughter's getting a, or your, uh, one of your kids is getting a feel for that, of what that feels like. So one thing I'd kind of think through is you're doing some of the, the some of what we talked about earlier, where, where you're doing um, 25 gigs or so. You've got a couple a couple days a week that you're still doing the practice. How many days do you want to do the practice? How many speaking gigs do you want to be doing? And then kind of you can kind of start to do the math and back into it and figure out where do you need to kind of fill in the, the gaps. You know, do you want to just do 25 speaking gigs and no more, no less, and that means you got to fill in the gaps financially elsewhere? Or what are the other things that you want to be doing that kind of help fill in the gaps? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I there's room for me to grow and do more speaking. And that was one of the reasons that I cut back my schedule a little. And that gives me more flexibility to not be able to, as long as I can negotiate what I want, I have not turned any of my speaking gigs down. I just say yes. And I figure out my work schedule around it. So I want to keep growing with that. And I do think the good news is that my kids are a little bit older now. So, mm-hmm. you know, they're almost 10 and 11, which is much easier than when they're toddlers. Yeah. Even when I used to just attend two conferences when they were younger, that was harder. So I feel like there's still room to grow. And the other area that I would like to grow as is more of the keynote speaker. And I got my first keynote in January of 2018 at a veterinary talk from somebody who heard me speak in Maui. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah. He came up to me. He's he's a friend from vet school, but he was like, wow, Sue. And he handed me his card. He's like, you're coming to Portland. You're doing our keynote talk in 2018. That's awesome. Um, Yeah. So I'd like to do more of the keynote thing as well. Doing the eight talks, you know, you always talk about have one good talk and, but for what we do in veterinary medicine, we are often asked to have a full track. So it's a a lot of talks, but I'd like to sort of expand into the keynote. I'd like to speak more, but I think the the other question that I was talking about with like the vlogging and the social media, because I feel like that all feeds into each other by having that presence online you know, people look like, oh, look, she has 32,000 followers on Facebook. It just adds that level of, of credibility, I think, as well. Yeah, I mean, some of it depends on the market, you know. So like in some cases, I think it's really important for you to be paying attention to where like the, the conferences that you're speaking at, the people that are the if the end goal is just speaking engagements uh, or better and more quality speaking engagements, then I'd be really thinking through where those decision makers are. So for example, you mentioned you've started doing some vlogging. Well, if you start to kind mm-hmm. of, if it's one thing to say, I'm going to do some vlogging because I've seen some other people do vlogging and let's, so let's just do that. But like you, you're not really sure if decision makers or the veterinary industry really pays attention to vlogging or YouTube videos or something that you don't necessarily even enjoy doing. You just saw some other people doing. There's something you shouldn't be doing. So I think it's really important to, again, figure out instead of, 
I see that person doing it, therefore I should do it. And more, what is the point of this? Like, what is all of this leading to? You know, so let's say you have more viewers on YouTube and let's say that you have a Facebook group with 5,000 people. Like, so what? Like, what do you hope that that translates to? Do you know what I mean? Because like all those metrics and like, there's a lot of people who have a big, I know several people who have a big audience or like a big email list and no idea what to do with it. So if you begin to build the audience, is the goal for speaking engagements? And, And like, again, bigger, better speaking engagements, or is the goal for something else? Again, I don't expect you to have the right answer today. I think it kind of evolves and changes, but I would challenge you and for anybody to be really, really clear on if you're going to start going down this path to do whatever that that new shiny thing is of just figuring out like what's the win in all of this? Like, why am I doing this? What's the end result that I'm going for? Yeah. So Two parts. The vlogging part was something because I wanted to do video. I felt like video was a more engaging way. And the other audience that we didn't really talk about that I engage with, you know, are pet owners. A lot of my Facebook followers are pet owners whose pets have had cancer or have cancer and they're scared. And one of my colleagues said, you know, you have taken the stigma out of treating dogs and cats with cancer because you're really positive. And so I feel like the vlogs are another path to do that because I show my patients going through treatment, coming in. And the funny part about vlogging is I actually love it. And I wish I didn't because it's a huge time investment, you know, to shooting the video during clinics is not that bad. And my clients love it and my nurses love it, but the editing part, but so I feel like that is good to both reach other veterinarians, but mostly to continue to break down the myths and misconceptions of treating dogs and cats with cancer. So I, I like that part of it. The closed Facebook group in one way was also with a help of my colleague who we were brainstorming is just a way to connect with other veterinarians and decision makers. And then, you know, you become the authority in your community. And then when they're looking for someone to speak, they're like, you know, Oh, what about Dr. Sue? She, so, and then I make myself accessible to answer their questions in these Q and A's about cases and things like that. That was the idea behind the Q and A was to build a better community with general practitioners and decision makers who are veterinarians and veterinary professionals as well. Right. And I have to admit it, it's fun. Right, right. <laughs> you know, so that's, both of the things that I'm doing are fun, but I do think you're right. Like there's only 24 hours in a day totally. and it is what I've, because I'm working almost full time. It's, yep. it has become all consuming. And so that is always one of my struggles is where to prioritize my time. What is, going to pay off what isn't if I like it is that good enough to do it you know because I enjoy vlogging and I the feedback has been I post them on Facebook my YouTube channel is nothing at this point but I'm working with a friend who just hiring someone who does stuff with YouTube because one thing I'll learn some of the business stuff from you and other people but I try to do my own Facebook ads ads I tried to do Google AdWords after doing your course Google AdWords was a nightmare I even did two phone calls with their help you know, they give mm-hmm. you free calls. I could do a little bit of Facebook. Google ads was above and beyond me. Yeah. And the same thing with YouTube. So I've realized I had to find connections that could help me with YouTube and Facebook ads because every time you learn the analytics, they change them on you. And I don't like that. So I don't want to do the stuff I don't like. Right. Well, and to speak to that, so like one, a couple things that you mentioned there I want to touch on is one that you mentioned, I love shooting the videos and I love making the vlogs. I hate the editing part. So one thing I would try to figure out is if there's a way that you can outsource or offload that just that one piece. So for example, like with this podcast, 
I do these interviews. You and me are talking right now. But after this, I'm largely done with the production. So I don't, mm-hmm. we have someone who does the editing. We have someone else that writes the show notes. We have someone else who brings all the pieces together and schedules it. So my primary role is I emailed you a couple of several weeks ago or months ago. And I said, <laughs> hey, I'd love for you to come on the podcast and talk about this. And then you and I are here right now. And that's basically it. So I, if I were you, I would try to think that through is if there's a way that you can bring other people on to, that's great advice. you know, just to take just the pieces that you don't want to do. You may be like, I love, don't touch the camera. I love that part. And when I'm done, I'm going to hand you the footage and you turn it into something pretty. And I think the more you do that, the easier, like you start to build some of those relationships with people where like they, like, right at this point, having done a bunch of podcast episodes, our workflow is just, we've got it down. So when the pieces are all distributed to the various people, they know what to do and they know what the end result needs to look like. And so I think the same thing is true with you that working toward the point where I shoot the video, I upload the footage to Dropbox, so-and-so takes it from there and your part's done, you know? So that may be something to start looking into and something just to be be considering. Except for the fact that Hudson, my nine-year-old, uh-huh. loves to edit them with me, nice. and he's actually got a crazy good eye. That's and good. Like, yeah, he's like, "Mommy, cut that! You're going on too long there." Or, you know, it's, so he does about half of the editing with me. So that has been really fun, and he helps me pick the music, and hopefully, I won't get copyright infringement and get kicked off YouTube like I did a couple of months ago. So that part, you know, has been fun. But no, it is. It probably takes me two to four hours to edit a video. Yeah. You know, for 15 minutes of content. Right, right. So if you know, you know, how you can best outsource just that one piece. So again, sometimes we feel like, well, I don't, you know, I don't have the the budget to hire a full-time employee. You you don't need a full-time employee. You need one person who's going to do one job that's going to take them two to four hours and they do that, you know, once a week or whatever. And that's it. So something like that, just, I think that frees up your time because then the the part of the podcast I enjoy is this right here. I enjoy having these conversations. What I don't enjoy is I don't like doing editing. I don't like doing show notes. I don't like doing all those, like getting all the pieces together. This is the thing that I enjoy. So other people who enjoy those other pieces and much better at them, they do those. No, I love that. The other thing I would say to you is you're in a spot where I think a lot of speakers, and not necessarily a lot, but some speakers are where your audience and the decision makers in some cases are different people, meaning Mm -hmm. that you speak a lot to veterinarians, but you also help pet owners. And those are two different groups of people. And so that would be another thing that I would try to really think through is with each one of these things that you're doing, that you try to communicate to one or the other. And you're making sure that if you're communicating to that specific group, that you're communicating them in the using the the medium and the channel that they are used to. So for example, maybe, and again, I have no idea, maybe uh, are your YouTube videos for veterinarians or for pet owners? They've gotten great feedback from both. I think veterinarians like to see what happens to their patients when they go to a specialist. Yeah. Uh, mostly pet owners love to see that when their dogs and cats are with us, that they're getting love and kisses. And when they're getting chemo, they're wagging their tails and things like that. So I think, again, it's removing the fear for both groups. And I've been surprised how much they've resonated within both groups. And I guess that's probably a good thing. 
Yeah, and so it's okay to do some where where there's going to be some crossover there. You just want to be aware of that. That if yeah. you start going to one side or the other, then you you <laughs> eliminate and you isolate the other uh, the other side. So, yeah. for example, if you're you know you start going veterinary talk and just going way deep on the academic side of treating pets with cancer. Your pet owners who are watching are like, I have no clue. I just want to know that Ralph, my dog, is going to be okay, you know, and that's yeah. all they, they care about. Whereas if you go too far the other side, then the veterinarians are going, you know, this isn't super relevant for me. Yeah, and it's a great point. When I set out to do the vlogs, they were more for pet owners. They, I keep the talk simple. I explain what this pet's there for, what they're getting, what cancer they have. But I guess my point is I've been surprised how much the veterinary community has liked them as, as well. Mm -hmm. So, but I usually on social media, except for the closed group, try to speak to pet owners because I think, again, so many of them are so scared of what's happening to their pet and there's so much negativity out there. But there's a lot of positive outcomes that they're not aware of. Right. But again, when you start to spread yourself too thin in terms of who you try no, to communicate yeah. to, yeah. you know, that uh, this video or this Facebook group or this, it's for pet lovers, it's for pet owners, it's for someone who saw a dog one time, it's for a veterinarian. <laughs> you just have all these people and all of a sudden people feel like, yeah. I don't know, it's for me and nobody else and everybody else and nobody else. And it just kind of feels like this, you know, this very vanilla generic thing versus, you know, like this, this YouTube channel or this Facebook group or this, whatever this thing you're doing is for this very specific audience. Then all of a sudden they come to it and they feel like, oh, this is totally for me. So yeah, I would say to really think that no. through and where yeah. you're, all those things that you're doing is to think through not only what's the point of them, but also who you're trying to communicate within each one of those mediums. Yeah, it absolutely makes sense. All right. Let me ask Just, you one other question. So for okay. coming full circle, so someone who's listening right now, who's going, all right, I'm where Dr. Sue was two years ago. I've done something and I'm really excited about this, but I don't know what to do next. And I feel over, or maybe I have some idea of what to do next, but I feel overwhelmed. Or maybe I've been doing this for six months. And I don't feel like I'm getting any traction and I feel discouraged. What do you say to that person? One is the, sort of uh, the global view, which I think is that like I said, when I came home from that first conference, North American, I was like, okay, this is going to happen. Yeah. And I just, you know, I wanted to speak at the next conference that I could get my hands on. And it took a while. And so that whole, it's a marathon, just keep, you know, I have some victories and then I have some where I don't get picked or things like that, or it didn't negotiate well, or they pick someone else and I just keep plugging at it and just keep sticking with it. So for me, it's having to be patient and I'm the kind of person who wants it done yesterday sure. <laughs> for sure. So it's been a game of patience for me, but it's paying off. And so that's been rewarding. But I think the other thing is going back to making a list, doing your homework, making a spreadsheet, where are the conferences that you want to go, finding out who the, the contact person is, and sending emails. Luckily, most of my emails haven't been cold emails. I've been able to figure out, and it's usually someone that I know or someone has introduced me and things like that. But it's just, you know, making those connections for me and then trying to figure out, you know, where I can get to speak. But again, it's, it's doing your homework. There's nothing glamorous about it at all. It's a lot of work. And, you know, most of the time it's after my boys go to bed from somewhere, you know, between nine and 11, like yeah, yeah. it's, it it's, hasn't been pretty. It's very glamorous. <laughs> it's non-sexy, but even you make a good point too, in terms of the, the marathon analogy that so much of speaking is not that you got hired to speak and the event happens to take place next week. 
It's something that happens right. months from now, right? So, and it takes a while for those things to plan. You remember that very first gig that you did and had someone who came up to you and said, hey, I want you to come speak, but I don't need you for three years, which feels yeah. like an eternity. Well, now, you know, we're six months or so from 2018 when you'll do that event. And now it feels like it's right here. And so, so much of it is just kind of most people, if they're going to plan a conference, they do it one time a year. And so it's just staying on their radar until they're ready to make that decision. And so you've been very, very diligent about doing that and building those relationships so that that one time a year that they do make the decision to hire a speaker that hopefully you're on, you're on the top of the radar. I just got invited last month for a conference in Reno in November of 2018. That's a long time away. Yeah, it's over a year away. <laughs> yeah, and that was with another speaker who I spoke with at another conference when somebody else got pregnant and I filled in and we kicked, you know, hit it off as speakers and we're speaking at that conference together and they asked me to speak in Chicago in 2018 and be program chair, but it was Eric who I spoke with, who recommended me, and that has fed into two conferences in 2018. Right. So that's been really cool. But again, it was just someone got pregnant and they needed a speaker. And we, you know, and we, and that one, we talked about social media. He's a social media guru. Yeah. And so he had me come in and talk about how I've been successful in social media. So it's not even really talking about cancer. And so that's been really fun is branching off into something else. Do you feel like this is uh, very much a momentum game where like when it when it started you had this tiny little snowflake yeah. you're trying to get going yeah. and now it feels like it's a big snowball that's really picking up some steam and it's starting to do some I, of the work I, on its own yeah i mean just this week i've probably had three invites for 2018 that's cool it is really like yeah you know and one of them is going to be back to back with another conference so i'm probably flying to indiana to speak and then going straight to vegas to speak yeah and just like making them all. So I do feel super excited. And every time, you know, every time I see an email, I'm like, yay, another right. one's coming in. It but never gets old. It, but it's scary because you wonder, well, will I have speaking gigs? If I go to work every day, I'm going to have income. But so there is that little bit of unpredictability. But luckily, yeah, I feel like I'm gaining momentum. But I just want to keep doing a really good job. And to me, that always goes back to being a better speaker and working on the talks, you know, and not forgetting to practice. And I'm generating new talks constantly. I'm learning new ways to make the talks more memorable and things like that. So I think, you know, the other sort of take home message for me is it's all about the talk. Like you can get the gigs, but if you don't crush it when you're there, no one's inviting me for 2019. Right, right. Beautiful. Well, Dr. Sue, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story, sharing your journey with us and uh, opening up, sharing a little bit about what you're working on now and where you're headed. Hey, if people want to find out more about you, if they want to check out your uh, your speaking and stuff, where can we go? Pretty simple. DrSueCancerVet.com. D-R, not spelled out. So DrSueCancerVet.com. And then I'm also on Facebook as well. I spend too much of my time there, but I love it. It's sharing stories and, and fun stuff. So, And I know I just said cancer and fun stuff. It's true. <laughs> But somehow you uh, you make it fun for pet owners. We, as you know, we just got a dog recently, Hi, and I know Jack. My, I know Jack. Man, my wife has talked with you multiple times about Jack, and he's been a lovely dog. So if something were to happen to him, it would be a, a household tragedy at this point, I'm sure. So well, hopefully nothing will. But I'm here if you need me. Deal. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate your uh, sharing your story and journey with us. You're awesome. You are too. Thank you. All right, there you go. Hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Sue Edinger. Really cool gal, and I appreciate her sharing some of her story and journey with us and some of the lessons that she has learned along the way and uh, also allowing us to to uh, 
do a little experiment there with the, the coaching, huh? Did you like that? That's something we've considered doing more episodes like that where we bring on speakers and just kind of hear what they're wrestling with, what they're struggling with, and kind of talk through some of those uh, those challenges and obstacles and hopefully help them uh, experience a little breakthrough there. So, uh, hey, again, if you are looking for some help in your own speaking business, then uh, a couple things you can do. Definitely make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We would absolutely love for you to be able to listen to every single episode. Make sure you subscribe. Make sure you leave us a rating and review over at iTunes or wherever you may be listening to your podcast. That always helps us out and helps other people find the show as well. And then finally, if you're looking for more of a step-by-step plan on how you can find and book paid speaking engagements, then definitely want to check out freespeakerworkshop.com. Again, that is freespeakerworkshop.com. We do uh, trainings over there just about every single day and we'd love for you to uh, be a part of one of them. So again, stop by freespeakerworkshop.com to learn that step-by-step plan on how you can find and book paid speaking gigs just like Sue has done. All right, my friends, that wraps up today's episode. We'll catch you next time. You're awesome. You're awesome.